Hello and welcome to another episode of the Arena Craft Podcast. My name is Arjuna. I am your host. And today, um, you know, Ikari is around the corner and I we're just like super thrilled to get into that format, get into that draft format, standard, all of the different formats that we can play on Arena. And I'm going to be covering that this week. A uh, couple days actually will be dropping an episode about that. But before we go into that, you know, this morning I had like an old Theros draft queued up on Arena and I was like, you know, I don't want to lose my gems on this. So decided to just go and play through that. And then later in the day I was on my stream, you know, I asked people what they wanted to do and I was surprised a number of people wanted me to play some more Theros draft. So I did that and it just like got me thinking that Theros was one of my favorite limited formats of all time. And I just wanted to do like a little retrospective show and share my thoughts with you. And I just wanted to slip it in as like a little bonus. So this this is unedited. This is just like the rough cut. And I'm going to be releasing a regular episode very, very soon. So this is just, you know, it... If, if For anyone who's interested, you know, this that's what this is. So anyway, to aid us in this, I thought I would invite a friend of mine who I've been playing a lot with and just discussing with, fellow content creator, co-host of the Mythic Legendaries Magic slash Hearthstone podcast, my friend Rich G, who is on the call with me right now. How are you doing, Rich? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm really stoked to just like record something with you because, you know, you and I have been chatting a lot, sliding into each other's discords, checking out each other's streams, talking a lot of decks and standards, stuff like that. And yeah, I just thought that you would be a great person to just have like a mellow, chill, relaxed conversation with about Theros Beyond Death. I am your person for that. Absolutely. And I appreciate it. <laughs> I mean, I imagine you just like holding your diet dr pepper right now just you know just chilling just chilling back, back. yeah just, just scro- scrolling through the through the theros beyond death cards remembering the days of of opening those first packs and totally getting things wrong and totally going back and being like oh, i should have known so yeah totally i mean i don't know i loved this set in limited uh, it was definitely like one of my top 10 limited formats of all time. How about you? I really liked it. I, I think coming off of um, Eldraine, um, this was a refreshing set. The, the Eldraine set was a little bit cumbersome, in my opinion. Uh, got kind of old, but I think overall, I was more stoked to just keep repeating limited format with, with Theros Beyond Death because of, it was just so complex and it was fun every time whereas Eldraine kind of lost the fun after a little while or could you know if you're up against certain decks it was a little bit uh um unfun if you will I will (laughs) and and I did yeah yeah um you know what's funny about Eldraine is that I actually really loved the standard format for Eldraine and I know that it was just like a really divisive time. A lot of people hated that format, stopped playing during that time. Personally, 
I found a lot of pet decks I really enjoyed. I played a lot of Stompy Green, did fairly well. Um, never, I mean, Oko was tough, but I don't know the strategies I was playing. It never seemed super oppressive to me when I was playing against it. I also enjoyed playing it myself. Right. So, um, so it's funny because I played almost no limited whatsoever during that format. But by the end of that standard rotation, I had almost the full set because I'd just been jamming it so much in standard. Yeah. So. I, uh, I played a lot of it. And then, like I said, I got a little burnt on it. I liked the standard format. And I, th- I think the whole Oko thing just kind of like, it was just a lot going on at one point. So I kind of like took a step back and just and gave the limited format the back seat and I just focused on like standard and seeing like what I can do with the cards in standard rather than getting you know merfolk secret keepered and didn't say please outed of the game every single time I played <laughs> yeah yeah I mean that that really that was the story of you know Eldraine limited on arena for sure um but yeah so like so Theros Beyond Death came along and I don't know, I like pretty much from the first time I fired it up to draft, it was just, you know what it was kind of like, it was like, I don't know if you are a musician. Yes. Okay. I am so in fact. <laughs> you'll know exactly what I'm talking about here, but like, you know, when you're at like the guitar store, right? Guitar center or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, you pick up a guitar off the rack and you're like, oh, that one looked kind of sexy, but actually it didn't sound that good. Or, <laughs> you know, oh, this one, yeah, you know, it actually sounds really great, but it's kind of hard to play. I'm, you know, the shape of it, I'm not really feeling or whatever. And then like, you know, when you find that guitar and you're just like, yeah. That's the one. <laughs> yeah. So funny enough, I used to work at Guitar Center for a long time. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> One of the older veteran uh, sales guys, the, he, he had a he had the term. It's, he said, "That's the one." He he didn't have to say anything else to his customers. Like that exact situation, he'd show yeah. them a couple things, and then that's the one. So I have a feeling I know where this is going. <laughs> yeah. So it was just like it's like when I started to play this limited format, I I just had that feeling of like, yeah, yeah. I felt yep. like the dude with my white Russian. You know, just like (laughs) (laughs) chilling by the pool, you know? Yep. Um, So I just like, I wanted to just talk about why that was Mm -hmm. and discuss some of the things that were really unique about this format. And yeah, I mean, I, I played it from start to finish and... I would be happy to, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I've, I feel kind of done with it now, but if I had to play it for the next standard rotation, like I would probably be happy to sit down and, and queue some more for it. Absolutely. I don't think it ever lost its thrill. I think it, it as a, as a limited format overall, the, the games themselves would always be a complex interaction no matter what, unless, unless you, you came up, uh, you know, there's that rare, you know, like gruel deck that your opponent drafted that was absolutely bonkers and, and had you dead by turn four or something. But I feel like every match that I played and every, every draft or seal that I did was like the games went on and there was a lot more thinking and a lot more complexities going on. And there was no, Oh, they have that one card, so therefore I'm going to lose. There was, you know, more of of longer games and actually getting value and fun and and solving a lot more problems. 
I agree. Yeah, I agree. That's a really good way of putting it. Like it, it did have more problem solving. There was a bit more chess to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think one of the things that I'm just thinking about, like I've got the cards in front of me and I'm kind of scrolling through them and thinking about and being like, what was it about this set that really made it feel special to me? And I think one of the things that I loved about it was that I really felt like every single card in the set was it just felt unique to me and every card felt like it had its place which isn't to say that you know i mean there were definitely some kind of junky mostly unplayable cards in the set like you'll get in just about any limited set right but overall it's like i'm scrolling through and i'm looking at all these cards and i'm just like oh yeah that card that card was good for x reason and you know i played this card surprisingly in that deck and I think I think you're right. I think the uh, every card could be a consideration. Like there was never, if you built a certain deck and you had, say, you went, you know, red black, and you're looking at your pool, and almost all of the cards that you have in those colors, you can you could come up with a reason to play them. Right? There was yeah. never just like, oh yeah, this this is that thing that nobody's ever going to play. And I totally agree. It was it was a lot of. And again, layering on those complexities in those chess games, like, okay, how should I build this deck to its optimal performance? And all of the cards, and I'm doing the same thing, I'm looking through, and you're right, like everything can have a place. There's no just like tear it up and throw it away card. Right. You know, with, with a few exceptions. Well, <laughs> you well know, yeah, yeah. Fruit of Tizerus <laughs> or whatever, you know. Yeah, but, I played for those. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, dude, I liked that card. <laughs> Um, but yeah i so one of the things that i'm reflecting on as well is that one of the one of the reasons i thought that this set was successful was that it didn't feel linear to me like for example you could you could build like an enchantment heavy deck right or you could build a deck that had some constellation enablers or payoffs in it but i never felt like oh i'm in the constellation deck right 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 as a result, I must take cards X, Y, and Z. Like it just, it wasn't like that at all. I really felt like I'd look at a pack and I'd be like, okay, well, yes, like that card will be good for Constellation, but actually this card has like a stat line that I don't really have in my deck. Or, you know, like I'm going to take this, or or maybe it was like, you know, I, I could choose between one kind of removal and another, but this kind of removal is going to be better in my deck because it is so-and-so card type or or whatever you know and so i just i really liked those nuances i really felt like the dev team thought about that and i really felt like it was just so cool to be drafting a blue deck and to feel like you know cool yeah like i could play this nyx bond sea god or or not you know and like it had its place in a control strategy it had its place in uh you know in the enchantment constellation strategy like there was just you know for just a two five there was like a lot of play to that card right and a lot of consideration to it and that's just like one of the many examples of how you know you can have a set like a lot of sets will have just like an ox right it's like a classic magic (laughs) ox so the two five you know four cost kind of beta right um and it's just a no it's a nothing card like you never play it and i just love that this card this set had cards like that but because 
you know, in this case, because it was an enchantment or maybe just because it lined up in a particular way, it felt mm -hmm. really relevant. And I really like that. Yeah, the, the enchantment theme and the overall flavor of the set really lent to the the color combinations not falling into just a very like specific line. And you were able to, like you said, you're able to sort of pick and choose and maybe actually divert from a certain archetype and be like, well, this will actually go better with this because of X, Y, and Z. There was just so much more flexibility, I believe, in, in just the creature types in the enchantment types in the colors and the, the little bit of the bending of the color pie so to speak and being able to build decks that weren't just like you know okay this is red blue okay this is red black and just those those old standard deck types that we see in almost all of the uh the limited formats this just had so much more flexibility i agree yeah i totally agree so let's get into the specifics a little bit like sure. what what was an archetype or a couple archetypes that were either your favorite or just that you found yourself consistently having the most success with? Well, right from the get-go, when the when the set was being spoiled and the hype for it was was ramping up, uh, obviously it's it's enchantment based and the enchantment theme and the enchantment flavor was like, okay, we're gonna go Satessan Champion enchantments green white every single draft, right? I think that was like a lot of people's initial knee-jerk reaction. Um, Statesson Champion was spoiled, and I think everybody went kind of bonkers for it, and <laughs> me included. I, you know, I just had the, sort of the, the stars in my eyes, and I was like, oh, oh my God, this is going to be crazy. So the first couple of drafts, I, I forced myself, even though the cards weren't there, I forced myself to play green-white, and I had to shake that <laughs> right away because that's the, the sign of a, a bad draft approach. So, well, um, How did it turn out for you? It, it turned out poorly. Okay. It turned out okay. because, <laughs> yeah. because I didn't do enough. Okay, so I didn't do enough thinking. I just thought jamming green and white enchantments together would make things work. Mm. Um, obviously, that's not the case. And after doing it a couple more times and doing a little bit more uh, slowly paced drafts and like what you were just saying, looking more into details, like what does this card do for other cards? Mm. Um, how is this going to work with other uh, creatures, how is it going to work with other spells? How is it going to work with my graveyard? Because escape was a thing that was like uh, brand new to me, brand new to, to probably a lot of people. And I was like, okay, the graveyard matters a lot more this set than other ones. So that's something you have to consider. Um, so I tried green, white, and it's just because I had poor card selection and I built the deck like hoping that if you just like, you know, put it in a bag, you shake it up and then just pour it out, it's going to work. But <laughs> yeah. that didn't so much happen. Um, because I realized there was green, white was lacking in removal. Um, there's a couple removal cards in white for, you know, artifact or, artifact or enchantment removal, like provoke existence. You know, you have a couple tricks uh, like Karametra's Blessing to make your guy indestructible for a second. But those are just like one-off things that weren't really going to hold you over on a like you know, or an aggressive red black strategy that has things coming back from the graveyard. So I think after seeing a few drafts and a few seals, I realized that my selection should be more removal centric and graveyard centric and aggressive creature centric than trying to make a, um, you know, make an enchantment theme work or make mm. something work that sounds good on the on the surface, but you really, really had to get the cards for it. 
Right. Uh, exactly. One thing I noticed was that like the synergies were definitely there, but they just weren't necessarily as linear as you thought they were going to be. Right. 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 Exactly. So like, for example, like, like uh shimmering chimera, which is one of the cards, like one of my favorite cards in the set, one of the cards that I thought really exemplified the set so well, mm-hmm. it was itself an enchantment and it dealt with enchantments and, you know, so it was definitely like an enchantment payoff, but the actual payoff of that card ended up being a lot more subtle than I think a lot of people thought. You know, like it, it right. would do things like it would um, trigger your Heliod's Pilgrims, right? Right. right. Or, uh, no, sorry. I always get it confused. What's the other one? Pious Wayfarer. <laughs> oh, Pious Wayfarer. Right, right. You know, you can pick stuff up and you can trigger your Pious Wayfarers again. Or you could pick up an enchantment creature which had an ichthyomorphosis on it or a dreadful apathy on it. Stuff like that. And so it's like the synergy was definitely there, but it was it was hitting along some different lines than you originally thought. You know, it's like... Right. It wasn't just like I jam my Shimmerwing Chimera, I get this Constellation Trigger, next turn I get another Constellation Trigger. You could definitely do that, right? but that that didn't end up being like where a lot of the sauce in the cards actually was. And so that's that's just one of the things where I really did end up feeling like I was playing with unique cards as opposed to just like, here's another Constellation payoff, right? <laughs> exactly. It's funny you mentioned Shimmering Chimera and that it's so at the pre-release, the in-person pre-release, um, I built a blue-white deck because I opened a Dream Trawler and a Kiara Best of Sea God in my sealed pool. So well, there you go. <laughs> so there I go, right? So that's okay. I'm building my deck around that. So I had a Shimmering Chimera and and um, it was in play and I had flashed in, what's the, uh, the white, the Omen of the Sun at mm. the end of my opponent's turn and had a Shimmering Chimera in play the previous turn. So then I'm reading during my upkeep. I, I'm looking at my cards, just reading them. And then I realized exactly what you just said. I was like, at the beginning of upkeep, return up to one other target enchantment. I'm looking at my board. I'm like, oh, Omen of the Sun's an enchantment. And I can flash. And my opponent was like, whoa, that's cool. And I, it was just one of those like bingo moments that it's mm. not just when it enters the battlefield, it's an enchantment and you get a constellation trigger. You actually have these little synergies that are like, paying off over and over and over again if you build your deck in that way. And I totally was just like, because I read my cards a little bit closer, which sometimes I tend not to do at a pre-release, you just kind of want to get your cards out and play. Um, but yeah, so those those are the little combinations that you have that payoff when it enters the battlefield for other cards. And then if you build your deck in a way that you, you're taking advantage of those little synergies, it can it can definitely add to a, a big payoff. And my opponent was was smiling but also sort of frowning because he's like <laughs> oh okay and he didn't have a, a way to deal with it so that ended up you know winning the game there but yeah uh, i got so, wrecked by that exact combo did you I really remember <laughs> it. i remember it very clearly yeah it was probably about 12 one ones by the time they <laughs> alpha struck and yep. yes it was disgusting yeah yeah so yeah you know I think one of the things that exemplifies this for me is one of my favorite archetypes, which was black-white. Okay, yeah. Now, I think part of the reason I like black-white is just that I'm not going to say it was, like, underdrafted by the bots on Arena. I think it was a combination of the bots weren't as high on cards like Maya's Grasp as humans were. Oh, my goodness, they were not. Yeah, Yeah. Maya's Grasp was just floating around, you know, fourth fifth to last pick all the time yeah yeah yeah, exactly so that that was definitely one of the things that skewed you in that direction but also 
um, just, you know, as we kind of came to see, both the black and the white card pools were just very deep. Mm-hmm. So there were just a lot of late pick cards, which were still surprisingly playable. And so anyway, this just led to my playing a lot of black and white decks. But what I really liked about that archetype was that there was no necessarily clear theme in that archetype, but it was like a really great melding of a lot of the different mechanics in the set. So for example, you had these really great devotion payoffs in both of those colors. You know, you had your, in white, you had your reverent hoplite, Mm -hmm. which is one of my favorite cards in the set. You get wrecked by that card all the time. Oh, so good. (laughs) So good. Flicker of fate on your hoplite, you know, (laughs) you're having a good time. Um, You know, the another Chimera, I, you know, I've, I've been starting to be known in my Discord community as like the Chimera guy <laughs> because <laughs> I just tended to be high on all of them. And, yeah. I, and I am like, I've just, when I look down the line of all the Chimeras in the set, I mean, I'd, I'd have to re, you know, I'd have to double check this, right? But <laughs> I was just tended to be a fan of them. Yeah. And um, I felt like each one really kind of exemplified its color. And so I was a huge fan of the White Chimera. Um, you know, I really enjoyed playing with Daxos. I, I was probably oh, yeah. higher on that card than a lot of people were. And um, so so you had these Devotion payoffs, and then, of course, in Black, you had your Catablepus, um, you know, Great which card. was itself enough of a Devotion payoff. Of course, if you could get Gary, Grey Merchant mm-hmm. of Asphodel, then that was the best one. And... So, like, you had that going for you, right? But then you also had this enchantment sub-theme because, you know, like, you'd have your Heliod's Pilgrim fetching up a Maya's Grasp or fetching up a Commanding Presence or fetching up a Dreadful Apathy, stuff like that. And it wasn't, you know, it's not like the enchantment synergy is, like, banging you over the head, but it's just you look at it and you're like, oh, you know, my... um, what was the one, the one-two flyer that made your auras cheaper? I, I'm trying to remember. Oh, the, uh, the transcendent envoy, transcendent. right? Yeah, yeah, transcendent envoy. You know, it's right. just like you have these cool turns where you're like, okay, I have four mana. I played my, uh, you know, I, I played my Heliod's Pilgrim and I got my Maya's Grasp, and oh, cool, because I played my transcendent envoy. Now I can just cast that, and right, it just right. like the flow felt very natural. Um, and so, you know, you had that going on too, but it was kind of a low-key synergy. Like, it wasn't a beat you over the head. Right. I think the black-white deck always had... It, it just... If you could get the key, a couple of those key cards, uh, the black-white deck always just kind of worked. Like you're saying, it just was... It just was... It ran very smoothly. Yeah. Uh, the, the creature selection in black and white worked together. The graveyards, the enchantments, the... the you know, the, the Transcendent Envoy was huge in that deck, like you said. You can, you know, play three oppressive um, auras in one turn and really take <laughs> yeah. over the game, you know? So totally. I really like that deck as well. I agree. And if you could get something like an Ephemia, um, if that's one of your rares oh, or even yeah. Morat was really good in that, yeah. in that deck. So yeah, totally. no, you're definitely right. The My- It's so funny that you mentioned the Myers grass being like undervalued. Cause I, as soon as the set was spoiled again, Myers grass obviously stood out as a, as a limited, almost first pick if you know if your rare is not a bomb rare oh and i mean yeah just, a lot of people were happy to walk away with a myers grasp first pick for sure yeah yeah 
Yeah. So one one of my one so on the topic of of the black cards, I just wanna I wanna tell you how I ended up in one particular deck after many failed attempts at building some of these decks. Um, <clears throat> now, we, just because we know the arena drafting is a little bit skewed, as we've mentioned, so it's a little bit easier to kind of get into this kind of thing. But I think this was the best deck I ever drafted in the amount of limited I did for Theros Beyond Death. Um, would you mind if I read it off for you? Yeah, yeah, lay it on us. All right, so I had one Grim Physician, two Hateful Eidolons, Two, I like it already. <laughs> <laughs> two uh, Mogus's favor, uh, two Tamarits chosen from death, one Agonizing Remorse, one Myers Grasp, one Underworld Charger, who is an MVP, uh, two Elspeth's Nightmare, one Farika's Libation, two Nyxborn Marauders, two Aspect of Lamprey, one Rage Scarred Berserker, one Gary, two Final Deaths, and two Catablepus and 17 Swamps. I'm feeling this deck. Yeah, that was a seven, an easy seven zero. That was yeah. just the, it was it was the the Cadillac of of draft decks. <laughs> <laughs> um, it came after it came after you know just doing a lot of like what were my mistakes where and and obviously in draft two it, you are up to a little bit of luck and uh, what you open, what you get past um, because you are up against bots and stuff. So again, it's not like I, I was a, you know an all star by by you know drafting and, and hoping things wield and, and stuff like that. But this was like, this was exactly where I learned all of those little in- intricacies. Like you were just mentioning about how cards work together. Luckily I was able to go monocolored because usually you're not able to go monocolored right. in draft. Um, but yeah, this is, this is exactly where I wanted to be. And it was sort of the benchmark of like, okay, every single draft after this, I need to take what I learned from that and try to incorporate it into my next decks. Cause obviously I wasn't going to be able to draft this deck every time, yeah. but it really showed me like the importance of making your deck work together. And it solved that problem of what I had when I first started drafting. Like I said, just putting a whole bunch of cards in a hat and shaking them up and hoping that they work together. <laughs> right. It's, it's kind of like the distinction between you telling the cards what they're supposed to do together and versus <laughs> you letting the cards tell you what they're supposed yes, to do together. Absolutely. Right? Yep. And I think that that's kind of, it's like when you see a really masterful person play limited and you're, you know, you're just like, how did they pull that off? And how did they find that? And mm-hmm. you know what, like, how did they make such an interesting looking pile of cards work so well? And I think it's, it's people doing that as kind of like, going in being like what what does this card want to be doing right not like what do i think this card should be doing and i'm really glad that you brought up underworld charger because i think that this is a super it's such a good example of this set because i would say i spent i i would it was roughly 50 percent of the time being like underworld charger is garbage and just like (laughs) cutting it from a bunch of my decks and you know, I'd beat my opponents with it and they couldn't block and yada, yada. And just being like, yeah, this card's not very good. And then the other half of the time, just being like, how am I going to deal with that thing? (laughs) Like, (laughs) I remember I had a really, it was a really good gruel deck. And, you know, I had my Furious Rise and I had all my four power creatures and the whole thing was just chugging along and I steamrolled my way up through this league and I reached this black green deck and it had at least two underworld charges in it. Mm-hmm. 
this deck wrecked me. It just, <laughs> it demolished me. And every time the charger came back from the graveyard as a 5-5, five, five, I'd look at my board and I'd be like, dude, Gruul just can't deal with this. <laughs> like, I, like, I just literally, can't, like, I have to trade, right? like, yeah. one or more of my best creatures for this thing and it's just coming back always comes back yeah that's that's the thing with that card it it again it, yeah it seems unassuming at first because i think the you know if a card says it can't block i think you're quick to dismiss a card right it's yeah. okay it can't block so what but it's a three three for three so that's a good stat right off the bat and then it's escape if it keeps coming back as a five five then yeah exactly like your point you you just you're either trading or you're you're make, you're putting your opponent under pressure and that card just is like always ended up being an mvp for me as well i think it's a card that really forces you to evaluate your role in the game and really forces you to just evaluate what your deck is trying to do because that that match taught me a lot because i was thinking incorrectly coming into that match like i am gruel i'm the aggro deck yes i'm going to smack right and i was <laughs> yeah and i was playing against this black green deck and i was like they're black green they're the value deck right and both games they just outraced me you know yeah. they 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 were like no actually my creatures are also really efficient and really aggressive. And the difference is mine come back right? Yep. <laughs> bigger <laughs> and you know, yours don't for, you know, it's like you have that rage hound. That's kind of cute. Or, you know, I yep. did like, I, I, you know, probably had a chimera or two, something like that. But it was just like, when I was looking at the way that my stats lined up against my opponent's deck stats, it was just this light bulb moment for me where I was like, I have to be trying to play like the control in this yeah, yep. in this you're matchup. And yeah, you're on defense. Yeah. Yeah. And like and my deck's not good at it. <laughs> you know? And and so it was just like a really educational moment. And so I love when there are cards like this in the set where, you know, you could line up a bunch of people and half of them would be like, ah, Charger is trash. I never play yep. that card. And the other half are like, no, it's actually really good. Yeah, no, actually, yeah, play it one time. And you'll see why it's not trash. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely once it once it's in a situation where you see it do what it's really meant to do, you're like, oh, I get it now. And I think you just mentioned the chimera, the the loathsome chimera, the yeah. green one. Is that yeah that that card's also a beating. That's that was such an under. Uh, I didn't treat that card with enough respect. The loathsome chimera, the the four one green for three, and it escapes with a one one counter on it. I. I always let it die, and that was the biggest mistake. Uh, you know, I would kill it if I was if my opponent had one, and seeing that thing come back as a was it a five two? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, even though it's a it's a two toughness, I was like, okay, there's now they have five power on board, and it's that same exact situation. Now I have to block it, and I have to lose a creature, and that thing's going to come back. Yeah. And, you know, I have to say, as the format went on, I only gained appreciation for the Loathsome Chimera. So it's really funny. At the beginning of the format, it was like all about Voracious Typhon, Loathsome mm-hmm. Chimera's kind of like Typhon's, you know, dorky younger brother or whatever, <laughs> right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and as time went on, I got higher and higher on the Chimera and lower and lower on the Typhon. And it's not that Typhon's not still good. I mean, I'm definitely going to pick it. I'm definitely going to put it in my green decks and I'm going to be happy about it. Mm-hmm. But just being able to slam four power on turn three as opposed Absolutely. to turn four. Yeah. 
Yeah, and being able they, to do it with one green mana as opposed to double pips and being able to escape it for cheaper, you mm-hmm. know, it's just like all of these things start to add up into making the Loathsome Chimera really have its own place in the format. And I'll tell you what, like, so one of one of my favorite cards in the format, and I, I think one of the like mythic uncommons in, in the set, which I don't hear a lot of people, I mean, everyone knows it's good, but I don't think people think it's as good as I do, but was a he- Nessian Horn Beetle. Oh my goodness. I love that card. Dude. Let me, I, oh my goodness. It's Undervalued. like, <laughs> it's like, uh, okay, like, there may be a few games where it came down and didn't do much, but like the majority of the time, that was the card that ended up like killing me. Or that was the card that I had to deal with. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, you know, it's not a good sign when you're looking at your opponent's board and you're like, two drop, three drop, five drop, five drop, five drop. And you're like, I got to kill the two drop. <laughs> you know, like that's the thing that's going to run away with this game. Absolutely. I've seen, I saw so many times where, where I would play that card and line it up in the correct way where it just started getting bigger the turn it came out and my yeah. opponent wouldn't deal with it. And I don't know if it was a matter of thinking the bigger things at that moment were more important to deal with, but if let go for two, three turns and you're looking at a six, six and then a seven, seven, you know, it's, it's one of those cards where you have to deal with it immediately or it's going to run over you trample or not. It's still going to, it's, you're going to end up trading with it or you're just going to end up losing to it. Totally. Yeah, I remember there was a moment I had with that card where I was looking at my hand. It was turn four. I had four mana out. And I had like the horn beetle. I had a three drop. I had a four drop. I looked at what I had on the board. And I was like, okay, well, I could play, you know, I could play this other chimera or I could play my racist typhon or whatever. And I was like, but if I just drop this card this turn, it's going to get a counter. And next turn, it's going to be attacking as a four four. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is just like, this is the best <laughs> card in my hand. Like, I'm just going to play this because yeah. it's, it's going to be my it, best creature next turn. It's a 4-4 four, four for two. <laughs> yeah, it was like, I could yeah. play this other stuff, but like, this is actually going to be the best one to play right now. And right. so it's just things like that, um, I think, really. And, and so a card like that is what makes the uh, Loathsome Chimera so good, right? Because being able to curve the Nassian Horn Beetle into the Chimera is just like such a, it's so hard for decks to deal. You're just, you know, like on turn four, you're swinging with two four fours yep, and, yep. and I'm, I'm well, well, two four power creatures anyway. So um, yeah, that was just a, a you know, an exa- and, and I think that this set had a lot of really strong two drops and that's, that's often a feature of some of my favorite formats is when you can have two drops that really define a game. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like the demigods, for example, Timoret, Daxos. Yep. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I I was just looking at the, I couldn't remember the green one. Um, What was she called? Renata. Oh, Renata. Yeah. 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 But she's a little bit more expensive. She's a, she's four for an O3, but I was just. uh, All right. Two, three, right. Um, O3. And then, yeah, she's a two for the devotion. Right. Right. Oh, right. Right. Okay. That's right. I I forgot that aspect of it, right? So, yeah, it's just like but anyway, like like talking about these two drops, um there were just like so many really impactful ones. Like let's talk about the Lampad of Death's Vigil. 
Um, This is a card that I was just like, like I keep getting higher on this card as the format goes on, you know? Like Mm -hmm. this is another one of these cards which you'd reach the end of a game and you'd be like, this Dorky 1-3 (laughs) is my most powerful card. Right. You know, like you have those games again where you have like a, a final death and your opponent has a lamp pad and you're like, you know, like that's the card I need to kill this turn. Yep. Because that thing's just going to kill me, right? Yeah, and it, it, the uh, the ability to feed your graveyard too. It, it was the synergy with that card was was awesome. Just being able to bring things back, kill them if you need to. You know, do those extra couple points, save yourself a couple points. It, the the card was really sort of a an engine, so to speak. It would it was good in the early game as a one three for you know a blocker. But as the game goes on, you're right. It just it just ended up being sort of an engine keeping things going for either yourself or your opponent, and you had to get rid of it. Totally. So, all right, let's go through some of these other one threes then, because I I yeah. think there was a lot of conjecture around these. How <laughs> did you end up coming down on Nessie and Wanderer? I liked it in the beginning because, of course, like I mentioned, the 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 enchantment sub theme and. I ended up, it ended up actually being cumbersome in a couple decks because I would play my enchantments and I would get the constellation trigger and I would grab a land and then I would just end up having a bunch of land in my hand. Uh, it, it didn't really, it got me the land I needed, but it didn't seem to do much more than that, you know? Yeah. It, you know, it's one of those cards where, like, in certain spots, it could super bail you out and, like, mm-hmm. set up your plan and be really fantastic. And then in other spots, you'd just be like, God damn it, Nessie and Wanderer, I, knew, I really <laughs> needed you to be something else, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it, it would find you a land. It wasn't as good as, like, you know, searching a library for a certain land, putting it in play tap. It was right. just kind of like grabbing your lands, filtering through your deck. But I found myself a lot of times when the constella- constellation trigger would happen, and you'd see the card that you need in those top three cards, and right. then you would just have to take the land, and then you lose out on the card you need. So it ended up being something that I, I wouldn't play after learning that lesson a couple times. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, okay, how about the Ariad of Mountains Blaze? Mountains Blaze. <laughs> That's the... You're like, you're like, oh, the card I never played. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> That, okay, so that one was actually one of my pet cards. It was the one, three in red, and you could pay two in a red to cycle a card in your hand. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I'm looking at it. I couldn't, it was a, the foil version. I couldn't read it. Yes. Yeah. Um, so let me talk about this card because um, I definitely went through a phase of playing a lot with this card. I still think it's better than people think it is. I think I'm probably not as high on it now as I was originally. Mm-hmm. But this card... Like I had this experience a few times of of um, being in a gruel deck and being short a few playables. Like maybe I didn't pick up as many rage hounds as I wanted or whatever, and I'd end up running the Oriad in the two drop slot just to kind of fill out the curve. Yeah. And I had a number of spots in the games I was playing where I was like, I was like, this furious rise has probably drawn me like three cards this game. But this Ariad has drawn me like seven cards yeah. this game. Yep. And I just had these moments of being like, dude, this thing is a house. Like, <laughs> I, And I definitely had these games where the Ariad was like the thing that bailed me out. 
Yep. And I, you know, I, I, that, I absolutely. I just uh, you got to have respect for a card like that, and I'm not saying that it just goes in every red deck. Like originally, when I started playing with it, I was like, I'm gonna just jam one of these in every red deck I play, and I'm I'm not that high on it anymore. Right. But um, but if I was short on playables or if I was playing any kind of a deck that looked like it could have a long game, I was always happy to have one of those. Yeah, I agree. It's it's something where I've ran into the that problem. And I think we all run into that problem where you're you're mid to late game um, and you're drawing lands or you're drawing your one ones that you didn't draw early on and you're just drawing this this junk that you're like, I wish you were something else. Just like the the Nessian Wanderer, I wish you were something else. <laughs> totally. And this this is exactly the that card that you, you would rely on. And I, I love the um what is it referred to? The loot mechanic? Is that is that it? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. It's uh, well, getting rid of the junk know, card. I think I think they call it rummaging, actually, when you discard first. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, mm-hmm. the other one is draw and then discard. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I mean, it, it, in any case, this is something that's like, I always rely a little bit more on these cards in a certain deck where I know I, I might go for a long game and just need to cycle those cards through. And thankfully, cycling is coming back. I love that mechanic. But yeah. this is the closest you get to it. And I, I definitely would would hold this high in, in the red, especially like red-black. Um, I know that that deck, when I built it, would go a little bit mid to late game. You know, mm. And the Oread was something I was like thankful that it was in the deck if I could play it. Yeah. Totally, totally. Just one of those cards that ended up pulling a lot more weight than I originally thought. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I just I thought uh, there's probably other ones I'm not remembering. Um, oh, Threnody Singer. That was another one. That one was uncommon. That but... wasn't uncommon, and I didn't I didn't respect that one until very recently when it got started playing in standard in like sideboards of like random decks. Very recently, have you? Did you? I, see I have not little... seen this. Tell me about this. It, it was it was in the sideboard of the. Uh, wilderness reclamation the teamer reclamation deck yeah it, it, it started popping up in the sideboard against aggro decks and i was like wait what's this card like it was like very 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 <laughs> confusing and i was like what set is it from and sure enough it was it's you know it's from this set and i was yeah. like all right and then it was very 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 good and and then you know too bad i overlooked it the whole time i was drafting and such but yeah uh no it's it is it's a very good card i think i obviously i overlooked it Let's talk about blue because I blue was probably the color I had the most, shall we say, tumultuous relationship with in this mm-hmm. set. I think, and it's funny because you'll get this a lot in limited where you'll get a bunch of players who are just like, oh, blue seems kind of junky and underpowered and, you know, it like plays all these dorky creatures and I never seem to get there. And then there's these other players who are just like, what? Blue's the best <laughs> color in this set. What are you talking right. about? Like I, I always win when I play blue. And I I felt like this set was a perfect example of that. You know, mm-hmm. like I feel like you could take the same pile of cards and one player would be like, oh yeah, I, I, I drafted a deck just like that the other day and I got crushed. And then there'd be another person who'd be like, oh my God, like that was an easy 5-0 for me. <laughs> so like, where did you end up coming down on blue in this set? I loved blue. Um, I would probably... Uh, try to force myself into blue because I think a lot of the time if I was, if I was drafting in person and on, even on arena, but I think blue was undervalued and I would try to be in blue because a, I always have a affinity for flying creatures. I have an affinity for flash creatures. 
and this has a lot of those um and just drawing cards i mean in limited i i've always you know what okay if i can draw an extra card over my opponent that could be the the card that wins me the game so flying and drawing cards are always sort of like okay can i do that okay good that's in blue let's try that and things like I know people don't like to main deck counter spells and such in their limited decks, but with Whirlwind Denial and uh, Deny the Divine, which were great counter spells as well, if you could get into blue, even if it's your second color, um, I, I held blue pretty high. If I could get into it, I would. You know, it's so funny because I tried blue a lot and I had very mixed results in this format with it overall. The color combination that I wanted to like the most, but which I ended up playing quite seldom, was blue-green. Mm-hmm. And it's all, you know, to be honest, like the Simic color combination, current standard notwithstanding, has <laughs> has <laughs> typically been a favorite of mine throughout yeah. Magic. Yep. And I really felt like I just, I really liked what the blue-green deck had the potential to do in this yes. format. I. I ended up feeling like you had to really dial it in to have it be good. Um, or- Utropia was the was the the key, right? Definitely. The, yeah, Utropia is like if you if you get an early Utropia, then you want to build your deck around that. But yeah. if you can't, and you get halfway through pack two, and you're not there, then you're you're screwed. You're like yeah. then you're just you know fumbling to put something together. That's it. It was a deck that was. Definitely very, very dependent on getting those powerful uncommons like Utropia, Shimmering Chimera. Um, even one of the Krakens could really take mm-hmm. your deck up a notch. Um, but when that deck did come together, it was just so sweet. Yes, and yep, you know, so, so that, that was that was definitely one of my favorites. But um, you know, I, my favorite, my sorry to interrupt. My, yeah, go for my, it. I think. The all-star common in blue was absolutely Riptide Turtle. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah. know about Riptide Turtle, but that card won me many games, saved my butt a lot of times. So I have to give a shout-out to uh, Riptide Turtle. And that's, Riptide. The, uh, that's the uh, 05 Flash Defender for one blue and one uh, colorless. So, again, this is one of the reasons this set is so great, is that like I've been consistently disappointed with Riptide Turtle. <laughs> And I don't know if it it was just like my opponent had death touch creatures or my opponent ended up just outscaling it or it's just, it's hard for me to fully account for it, but like I'd have these sweet decks where I would have like the, um, the, the mare, the rare that drew you cards when you played on your opponent's turn. Oh, the hippocamp, the hippocamp. yeah, Yeah, exactly. So I'd like I'd have my hippocamp, I'd have a couple of turtles, you know, I'd have some counter spells, I'd be like, Yeah, we're doing it. This is great. And I would just like throughout the course of the game, I'd be like, Oh, I drew an extra card. Oh, it's this dumb turtle. <laughs> you know? Or like, oh yeah, I just got so much card advantage. Now I'm gonna play my two two flash flyer. And <laughs> my like, texting goal, yeah. Yeah. And it was one of those things where again it's like, you know, I could tell this to some players and they'd be like, oh, and then you totally won the game from there, right? And I'd be like, no, I got no. annihilated. Because <laughs> no, I had O fives and 2-2 flyers. <laughs> so I don't, it, it's just like, that's one of the cool things about this format, obviously, yeah. is that like the fact that you can have such a range of experience with the same cards, I think says yeah. a lot. Um, I, I have had a number of decks 
Like I think one of the thing, one of the experiences that super turned me off to playing blue was I had this just disgusting, amazing blue black control deck. Um, I managed to pick up a uh, planeswalker. Why am I forgetting the name? The the blue back, the blue black nasty planeswalker. Ashiok. Ashiok. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So I got Ashiok five. And, uh, you know, I had the counter spells, I had a hippocamp, I had the turtles, I had um, some final deaths, I had the removal, I just had everything, you know, uh-huh. I had thirst for meaning, I, I just like, I felt like I had it all, I felt like I yeah. built. Yeah, that like, sounds like you had it. Yeah, I just like built this perfect example in my mind of of that archetype, right? And I also, you know, I felt like I piloted it well, I don't think, I don't, I didn't feel like I made any grave mistakes or whatever and like i went one two in my draft and you know and and i just was like that's it dude like have you ever had that one of those experiences where like you felt like you had the perfect deck and you played it and it sucks and you're just like i'm done like absolutely i've yeah. been there many times <laughs> yeah so so i so got what that was it, what was it about about that deck that lo- like what was the experience what happened that made you go one, two, was it not drawing the cards you needed or was a combination of your opponents having better, like a better situation in the decks and the games or what, what was there? Yeah, this is what it came down to for me. I, I felt like I outcarded my opponents and I felt like the cards I was outcarding them with just didn't matter. Okay. So I was like, when I looked down at my board, I was like, okay, I drew all of these cards, but I have two O fives. I have a 2-2, you know, maybe I have this 2-2 flyer, which was just, like, immediately outclassed by my opponent's flyers, right? right? right. Um, you know, it's like, sure, I'd, like, I'd counter a number of their spells, but it's, you know, it's like eventually my opponent would just, like... Catch up, yeah. Yeah, they just top deck the stupid, like, 4-5 war leader, you know? <laughs> and I just, like, didn't have a counter spell that time, and I was like, great, like, I'm just, I'm just going to lose to this stupid card now. Um, or, like... You know, like I'd get my Ashiok down. I'm not saying Ashiok's a bad card. I mean, I would happily, happily, happily start any draft with Ashiok. Of course. You know, but I remember like, like I was playing against this this red black player, right? And it it was such an annihilation. Like, like I resolved my Ashiok, and I was like, yeah, I got my Mythic, and like they played the rare Phoenix, and they were just like, your Ashiok's dead. You know. <laughs> That was my experience too with a lot with a lot of my bombs or if I happen to open a planeswalker that exact thing happened to me more times than I can count to. It would yeah. come down it would do its thing one time and then it was dead the next turn. Yeah. And then I was sitting sitting there like it was two turns ago like all right how am I going to figure this out and eventually you'd lose. So Totally. And so, you know, and and I'm not necessarily like the the fault is probably mine, right? I, I was there's probably something about this archetype that I wasn't understanding or something about the pacing of it, something about like when to hold them, when to fold them, all that yeah. kind of stuff, you know? I think there was a lot. Yeah. This format I, I've, I learned my lesson too is not just jamming everything because you have yeah. it. You, there was definitely a little bit more setup because of what your opponent could have, what, the board looked like at that point, what is going to, I was always sort of overlooking what my opponent could escape. That was something I had to mm. get used to right in the beginning. Cause I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, a new mechanic like that and your opponent's graveyard in, in Eldraine, you weren't 
looking in the graveyard unless you were, you know, going to try to rescue something. Uh, you know, if something was going to come back to your hand, like in a, with the, uh, the order of midnight or something, right. That's the only yeah. kind you're really looking yeah. in the, the graveyard. But now with escape, you know, I was like, okay, we're good. We're good here for a turn. And then I'd overlook the graveyard and sure enough, you know, something would come back that would, would swing the game back in their favor. So yeah, it's definitely something that you really needed to set up, you know, a turn or two in advance or just plan it out a little bit better because there were so many things that can happen in one turn that if you overlook one thing that your one play would just sort of be null and void. I'm so with you. You know, the card that exemplified that for me, was the binding of the Titans. Oh my goodness. Yes. Like, this card, I like. I swear, I need to wake up every morning and just reread the Binding of the Titans <laughs> because invariably, it's like my opponents would play this card, and I would always forget like one of the lines of text on that card. Right? right? Yep. It's just something like they'd slam it. Next turn, I'd like trade my escape creature in combat, and oh, all of a sudden they're like eating it out of my graveyard, and I'd be like, oh, of course. <laughs> like, how could I forget that? Or like, yep. you know. Or I'd kill their creature and I'd like make a trade and I'd be like, oh, that was a great trade. And then like the third chapter would go off and they'd just get it back from their graveyard. And I'd just be like, what was I thinking? You know? (laughs) So yeah, that card was really good. It it definitely did more than you anticipated it to do. It was definitely something really hard to play around for sure. Yeah. I just like, and I think you're so right. Like these sagas really do, they, they did before and they still do force you to think turns ahead yeah and it's really you know i mean in standard as well right like elspeth conquers death is one of these cards that's kind of warped (laughs) standard i i mean anyone who listens to this show will know that i have a bit of a vendetta against that card (laughs) but it really does just like it it has this narrative where like you when immediately someone plays that card you have to be thinking three turns ahead or you just the worst yes yeah you know and you know, I'll be speaking of that card. I completely didn't respect that card in the beginning. I, I just thought it was too expensive. And the first chapter being exile target permanent converted mana cost three or greater. I was like, oh, you know, how often am I going to have something three or greater? Okay, I learned my lesson real fast because that is <laughs> such. I mean, I should have known right off the bat. But you know, thinking, thinking steps ahead and exiling permanence that you want to be in your graveyard. And it just, it's just all around is obviously one of the, one of the best cards in the set. Um, and then just like you said, having to, having to be like, all right, step one, step two, step three, you, you lose to that card almost, almost all the time, or it puts you in a position where it's going to be almost impossible to come back from. Totally. Kind of like the a crow and war too. that one. I really, mm. I really love that card. It was, I think it's a lot better and limited than it was or is in standard. But again, that's another amazing saga that really took you by surprise when your opponent would play it. I think. God. And that was one of those cards where like, that was definitely like a furrowed brow thing for me. Like someone <laughs> would play that and I just have to be like, so, okay, so what's going to happen now? <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> how do i try to play this to my advantage i'll i'll be honest i think that's the card i i read the most in the whole theros uh, yeah. chapter yeah it's it's something you just constantly have to be like okay so i get a thing right okay the next time it's gotta okay it's just such in, in and this i think this one of the of the few that we just talked about this is the one that you really need to play around in such a intricate manner because it's mm. you're attacking and you're forced to attack and your opponent's going to get a thing back. Um, but I just, I just think that chapter one is always just the, Oh man, 
they got my thing or, or you get the thing and then you, you get to use it how you want. And, and usually it would end up being, you know, sacrificed to something, you know, mm. like a low strider or, or something like that. But yeah, a crow in war is definitely always took me by surprise. I never, <laughs> I never anticipated the crow in war. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody expects the crow in war. <laughs> you go. Totally. Yeah. Totally. So, all right. Um, Wow, you know, we've been having fun here. It's already almost an hour into this episode. Oh my goodness. Um, right. But I just wanted to ask you, like, what what were some of your pet cards, either like cards that you really loved or cards that you really hated? Like, what, what are the cards that you're kind of taking away from this set? One of my favorite cards um, was Rise to Glory, the oh, sorcery, yeah. the uh, three colorless black and a white and you get to choose one or both return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield and return target or a card from your graveyard to the battlefield. Yeah. Um, I loved that card. I mean, I made it way as we were talking about earlier, the, the black and white deck, this card would be a, a big swing in your favor if you were able to time everything right. And that was one of the cards I would always try to, if I could get it, I would jam it and I would always make it work. Yeah. That card was just super strong. Totally agree with you that. You know what's funny about that card? That card's like a mythic uncommon for me, not in the power level, but just in the number of times I saw it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like I haven't even seen that card in my last 10 drafts or something. Yeah. So, but yeah, super good. Super good. Um, another one, um, Tectonic Giant. Is that the. Oh, yeah. Yep. That guy. If you were lucky enough to open that guy, um, I think, do, do you think that card is underappreciated? Like, because I get that feeling, but I'm not quite sure if I'm on the right page. Yeah, I, I think so. I think part of it was that red, I felt was a little underappreciated in this mm-hmm. set, um, which felt a little unfair to me. I had plenty of success playing red. Um, I, you know, if if I was starting a draft and I was seeing strong red cards like Arose's Blessing or mm-hmm. Annex, I mean, annex dude yeah that card <laughs> that card is a house yes um <laughs> i you know i've been cubing lately i've been playing a lot of cube and like annex is just as good in cube as it is in standard <laughs> as it is in theros limited like that card is busted yes it is um so you know like if you see cards like that i would i mean i would without hesitation go into red and i i ended up feeling like it was you know fine so um, but yeah, no, I, I think a tectonic giant is really good. I mean, I would be happy to first pick that card. No, no questions asked. It's, it's a little bit of a shame that it's like not quite standard playable. Yeah. Yeah. It's right on the border, kind of a little bit too expensive or slow or whatever, but it's yeah. definitely, definitely good limited rare for sure. Yeah. If, la- if, if it was a four, four instead of a three, four, yeah. I think that would yeah. cover a lot of the gap. Yeah, you know. yeah, for yeah, those a lot of those three three rares, uh, you know, they they die to that, you know, that scorching dragon fire, and then that's that. So, um, stinging lionfish in blue. I, I oh, was yeah. a fan of stinging lionfish. That was if if you can get into blue red um, with a mischievous chimera and a bunch of other do things on your opponent's turn. Um, that that deck, if you were able to draft that, I loved stinging lionfish in multiples, of course. So let's talk about that because that was another one of those decks where like, well, A of all, I so rarely went into it because um, that that mischievous, chi- the mischievous Chimera was another one of those cards that just felt like a mythic. Like I never saw that <laughs> thing, man. Yep. yep. Um, 
it's just like the bots i think the bots really loved blue red um so i very rarely ended up going into that archetype and uh, again like that the chimera the uh the manticore the 4-2 manticore oh yeah yep um the the stinging lionfish these were all cards like i so wanted to do the thing Mm -hmm. and i just never quite felt like i got there with them so it's it's cool to hear you talk about it because there's definitely a deck tell me about it there's definitely a deck that you it, it had to have certain things it couldn't lack it couldn't lack one or two of them because mm. then it's just a blue red deck that does some stuff. Yeah. Like it really needed to be an engine. You really needed like you needed your, you know, your naiad of hidden coves. You needed the steam lionfish. You needed the ichthyomorphosis to slow down, you know, the big thing in the beginning if you mm. couldn't counterspell it. But you were playing like deny the divine. You were playing your vexing gull. You were playing the whirlwind denials. The uh, what's, how do you say that one? Uh, Caliph. The, yeah, uh, the Kalafi, beloved Kala- of yeah. the sea. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, it was just, and the, even the Illyrios. I mean, all these fit well in that deck as well, even though they're not like a flash, um, yeah, uh, creature. But they were just like that deck um, was super, super awful to play against, but probably my favorite to play in the format because I really like control as as a player. Like I, I I'm more of a control player. You know, Mm. people say like, what kind of magic player are you? Mm. And I I like control a lot better than aggro or mid range stuff. And if I could get into that, I would absolutely try to put that together. But if you didn't have multiples of a couple things, it was really like, it was a waste because if you only have one stinging lionfish, one chimera, you're relying on two different cards out of 40 that if you don't get them, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. Yep. And that that was, I think, how I ended up feeling was that whenever I got one of those red-blue decks, I'd play it and I'd be like, there's something here, but I just, that's exactly how I felt. I always felt like three or four cards short of what mm-hmm. I felt like I really needed. Yeah, the arena trickster too. That was a that one got real big fast. The three three that grows every time you yeah, play. Yeah, did did you yeah. have success with that card? I I, I, I really didn't. Really. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the one that like uh, in, in multiples too. Like that one would fill out the the middle of the day if you mm. didn't have multiples of the lionfish or the chimera or something. The the smaller creatures, the mm. trickster would do a lot of the work if you had two or three of them. Because if you have two or three creatures that are getting bigger each time yeah. you're playing something during the uh, opponent's turn, they're pretty hard to deal with. They're three three as is, and then usually they'd be a four four by the next turn. So. Um, I had a lot of success with that deck and I enjoyed playing it too because it had a lot of intricacies like of when to play certain things and how to play them. So um, yeah, I, I like that. I like that archetype a lot. That's It's just cool to hear, you know? It's it's cool to hear that you were able to find corners of the format that, you know, that I wasn't or that you're able to have success with things that I wasn't. I just think it speaks to the diversity of what was possible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just like we were saying in the beginning how just there were so many layers and and a deck didn't have to be a certain thing every single time. So Yeah. That's really cool. So okay, I want to tell you about this because it was one of my favorite decks I ever built in this format and I felt like this was a deck that just wasn't actually it didn't really end up being supported in this format, so I, I'm not really I think you would have to get the perfect deck to have this be good. Mm-hmm. But I got close once, and so I just wanted to talk about it. And it was a blue-black aggro deck. Okay. 
And so this deck ran, I want to say I had like three Temple Thieves. I had, I managed to get two of those 2-1 guys that got unblockable when you put a a card in the yard, right? You know what I'm talking about? Yes, 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 yes. Yep, yep. So I had two of those. Um, What else did I have? I had, oh yeah, I also had two of the 2-1 Death Touches, the Maya Tritons. Oh yeah, yep. Um and then I I had some of the uh the the Gorgon, the 3/3 three, three death touch. Oh yeah, the um oh not Freaka spawn, the the, other one. the the Hierophant. Oh right, yeah, Venomous the Hierophant. Venomous Hierophant. Yeah, yeah so yep. I had had some so so I ended up with this deck that was just like it was mostly two drops. Um oh yeah, I had a couple of underworld charges in there, of course. Mm-hmm. And the the goal of this deck was to just get under. It was it was su- like a super under deck. Like I was just trying to like be unblockable. I'll be very quick. I'll have all my creatures have death touch. I, I think I actually had three stinging lionfish in that deck as well. <laughs> and what the, what I was missing, what I really wanted to pick up in that draft that I didn't end up seeing was stern dismissal. I think if I'd had like two or three stern dismissal in that deck along with the lionfish. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of my aggressive creatures. I think that deck would have been super busted. And I did have these amazing curves where I would just like drop like four or five two drops and just completely tempo my opponent out. You know, but- I noticed I noticed that in this format, playing a bunch that opponents would people would be able to build that deck. That was like very surprising too, and and not in like red green in something like you're saying like in black blue. Yeah. Having just like a, a two, three, four and having one creature, two creatures, three creatures and swinging for five, six, seven, you know, and, yeah. and you're only if you're playing something that can't keep up. I think it's it, the complexities were there to build that kind of deck in not the standard colors that would be aggressive. Yeah, it, it's just a shame because I feel like if there had been a few knobs tweaked in the format, I think that a deck like that could have been a lot more accessible and a lot more playable. Right. As it was, I got that once in the format. And, you know, who knows if, if even that deck, and that deck didn't even take me very far. I think I went like, I got like two or three wins before I busted out of that event. Um. But I just ended up feeling like, man, like this, this could have been such a fun <laughs> archetype. Like yeah. anytime the blue black aggro is a thing, especially when you get like the tempo and like the cheap removal spells, the bounce stuff, you know, that's, that's like often supported in blue red or, or, you know, uh, in different color combinations, but I, I was just, was just so close. I felt like I was so close. Yeah, the Temple Thief is such a good card, and and I, I think I undervalued it in the beginning and and learned my lesson as well because, yeah, yeah that's such a great card, especially obviously in this format. Totally. Yeah. yeah, that card like got under a surprising number of creatures, and it was another one of those cards where you know. I'd be like surveying the board. I'd, I'd draw Maya's grasp and I'd be like, all right, who's getting it? Who's getting it? And I'd be like, it's like goddamn temple thief is getting it. <laughs> so. How did you feel? I know we're, I know we're, uh, we're, we're going a little long, but I yeah, just want to, yeah. this is such a great conversation. And yeah. I, I wanted to get your opinion real quick on Protean Thaumaturge. Oh yeah. Um, were you into that? Were big, you able to make it work? Big fan of that card. Awesome. Me too. Yeah, especially yeah. in the in the Simic deck, in the in the the blue green deck. That yeah. that thing, that thing was just a house. It really was. 
Yeah, that that was one of those cards where it took. It was another one of those cards that took some skill and it took some planning,、mm-hmm. but you could just do such inventive things with it, you know. And it was really, I love in Magic when you have cards that give you the opportunity to outplay your opponent. Yeah, and that was really one of the cards that did that. It had the flexibility, and it really. It, that was a card that asked you to have some imagination, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So I think people who, I mean, and again, like opinions can vary. That's fine. I'm not saying my opinion is right, but I, I think some of the people who didn't end up liking that card, I think, just didn't quite think through all of the things that you could do with it, or again,、yes. maybe just weren't putting it in decks that had enough flash enchantment, so stuff like that. Yep. But、um, yeah, I. Every time I played with that card, I was finding new ways to exploit it. You know, changing my creature in the middle of combat. Yeah,、uh, yeah, yeah. There's so many surprises to that it could.、Uh, yeah, it could become something different in, in mid combat, and and just doing things and and、uh, outvaluing your opponent with enter the battlefield. You know, creatures and such. It was just such a such an interesting card to play around with your other cards with. Again, just sort of attesting to the sets like. Flexibility and inventiveness. Totally, yeah, yeah, totally. And it was also, I think, it was a very well play balanced card because it just wasn't really a good idea to run it out on turn two. You, right, you'd have to kind of work it into your curve to where you could get the most out of it. And I like the idea, you know, I like that you've got your opening hand, and that's your two drop, and you're like, okay, well. I, I feel like I want to play something on turn two, but I don't really want to run this thing out on turn two. And I just like I like how that was another puzzle you had to solve. You know,、mm-hmm. it's like maybe if you were playing against another blue deck, you were like, okay, well I can get this thing down. They're not going to kill it, right? right? Whereas you know, if you were playing against like a red black deck, you're just like, nah, I'm, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not putting that in the line of fire.、Yep. Right? I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for my my opportunity, and then yeah, you know, surprise the opponent. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm glad you liked it too because I I think in the beginning I think it had a lot of text and usually I think one of your past guests was saying about cards with a lot of text either they people don't read them and you can play them well in the beginning of a format and then、yeah. uh, and then people catch on so、uh, yeah. I think that was one of those cards but I, I definitely thought that was a a fun card to play with yeah and I said this on a previous show too but the time that my opponent's thaumaturge became their second dream trawler. <laughs> <laughs> That was the moment I truly respected the thaumaturge. <laughs> That's amazing. Not for you though, for your opponent. <laughs> yep, yep. They they sure had fun that game. <laughs> well,、um, Rich, I really appreciated talking with you. I,、Absolutely. you know, I, if it were up to me, we would have this conversation for the rest of the night. But I want to spare the、yeah. listener and give them a chance to get back to their life. But、uh, quickly before we go, let's just talk about your show a little bit. So oh, cool. you you co-host the Mythic Legendaries podcast. Just tell us a quick thing about your show and where can people find you. So the Mythic Legendaries podcast is a fun, casual podcast about Magic: The Gathering Arena and Hearthstone. My co-host Mock Sapphire,、uh, she's been playing the game for a couple years. I just got back into Magic a couple years ago as well. Uh, we've known each other for over 20 years, so we're great friends.、Uh, we love games, so we get together each week. 
We talk about our progress in the games and what's going on in the games. Uh, and we just have some fun off topic stuff as well, because, you know, we have some interesting lives and we like to share that with our listeners and such. And we like to have a good time. So we're on all of the, you know, popular podcast, um, platforms like Spotify, like Apple podcasts. We have a YouTube channel. We have a Twitter. We have all the social media stuff. Uh, it's all mythic legendaries. And our Twitter is mythic legendary. That's the only thing that you can't find with the S on the end. So, mm. um, that's what we do. And you know, we like to have a good time doing it. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, I think there's like a lot of people want to have the podcast, which is just like two friends hanging out, having a good time. Right. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of those podcasts end up being really mediocre and not something you would want to listen to. And you two really have that groove and it's good. <laughs> Thank you. You I know, it's like, it's like I find myself listening to the show and just like, I feel I'm like, yeah, I feel like I'm just hanging out with two of my friends talking card games, you know, talking a little bit of just current events, whatever. And like, it does, it's like, it's not eye rolly. It's like, it's really good. <laughs> That's great to hear. We appreciate that because we just, you know, like we say on the podcast and and you're familiar, we just like to have a good time. We're not pros. We're not looking to be professionals at the game. We're just a couple best friends that love playing games. We love sharing our knowledge and experience. So if, you know, if you enjoy just hanging out and having a good time, then our podcast would definitely be up your alley. So I really appreciate the kind words too, because that's what we're out to do is just spread some good, uh, good, good vibes in the, in the gaming community. Awesome. Well, I'm a fan and uh yeah, I, I'm it's been awesome having you on this show, Rich. And um I'm I'm gonna do a sign off here real quick. So thank you for listening to the Arena Craft podcast. Again, this was just like super rough cut. We literally just recorded this. I'm gonna upload it. So, you know, just wanted to have like a little Saturday evening chat bonus episode. But yeah, you can find me at Arena Craft Pod just about everywhere. Arena Craft Podcast on Twitch. And I'm going to be releasing an Ikaria-focused f- uh, episode in just a couple of days here with a cool special guest I'm excited to get on there. So thank you for joining me, and I will catch you soon. Bye-bye. Ding.